Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. What is up, everybody? We are back with Shine in Delight, and we have a very special guest today. Ro, will you do the pleasure of introducing him? Oh, yeah. This is my quasi-boss, Samuel. Um, We served together at the porch. He, uh, I don't know, tell tell everyone about yourself, Samuel. I mean, you're you're an interesting guy. You're an engineer. You design roads. (laughs) Yeah, I I do highway design for work um, and then porch for fun. So I, I don't know about quasi-leader or whatever. They, they say everyone at the porch is a leader, right? You have a lot of leadership qualities. Well, I yeah. appreciate that. But I say if you are a, a Christian, you are a leader and a pastor as you lead those people around you closer to Christ and yeah. take care of them spiritually. Well, bro, what's our uh, icebreaker for the day to kind of get things started, a little, little cash? Things going? Get things yeah, going. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's, do you have a weird obsession, something you're oddly fascinated with that's not normal? I mean, does my addiction to CrossFit count as a weird obsession? Or you said is that... it, not me. I... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring it up this time. Just kidding. No, well, because, like, CrossFit's relatively normal. Like, working out's relatively normal. It's not weird. So is my, like, love of coffee. Uh, that's relatively normal in the United States. So I'll have to think for a second more. We'll start with Samuel. Well, I, before I answer that question, I do want to say I don't drink coffee. So I'm one of those weirdos that I don't like the taste. But anyways, uh, okay. my, my weird obsession is linguistics. I, I'm very particular about them being used correctly, um, especially in the right context. Uh, the, the great example is using literally when you're not literal about whatever you're talking about. <laughs> when you're figurative. <laughs> I also despise when people say, ask you a question. That that drives <laughs> me up the wall, but ask. There is no X in X. That's funny. Well, thanks for sharing that. Ro, what about you? What's your uh, quasi-weird obsession? The O.J. Simpson trial. OJ, what do you mean? Tell us more about that. Trial of the century, broadcasted from gavel to gavel, the whole thing. Twenty-four. It was like the first big story of a 24-hour news cycle. CNN was just starting at the time, and so it was basically covered for 24 hours. They were talking about OJ Simpson. And then you also have, because he was a celebrity, it, you had the racial component that made things really tense. And then it's just, it was a year and a half. It took him six months to pick jurors. Everyone involved with the trial became a celebrity afterwards. Spawn the Kardashians. Spawn the Kardashians. It's like all of I these different. Know that. Dang. All of these different reality TV careers happened because of the OJ Simpson trial. Mm. Yeah. Dang, there's a lot of, it's like a spider web then that yeah. you need to follow and go on, especially as a lawyer. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Kardashians, yeah, well, they, all, they all came from, from the OJ Simpson trial. There's some videos after the trial where he's like basically admitting to it. It's like, oh goodness! <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah, that's funny. Um, I would say my quasi weird obsession would be cheese. I'm not even kidding there. Um, I love cheeses, whether it be soft cheese, hard cheese, semi hard cheeses. Knowing how long they were fermented for, for aged for. Um, I think one of the funnest blue cheeses I ever had was in a from a cave in northern Spain, and it just was the strongest, pungiest cheese ever. But I don't eat cheese. I eat cheese every day. Um, but in the United States, it's relatively expensive to get really good cheeses. And so I can't afford to go to Whole Foods all the time. Um, so mainly, you know, dive into that obsession when I'm overseas in Europe. 
H E B uh, has good cheese. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, and so does yeah. I go there a lot more often. Costco, Whole Foods, where I get some good stuff. I have an uncle that will not eat any dish with cheese in it. Really? Except for pizza. Except for pizza. That's, hel- pizza. that's hilarious. Uncle Sonny, he hates cheese. I <laughs> absolutely despises cheese. We love dairy in my family. We're all about cheese, butter, milk, yeah. all the above. Cream. I drink you a gallon it. of milk a week. Come I'm on. All about it. Come on. That's pretty good. I like that. Gallon of milk a day. Just kidding. <laughs> is that possible? I mean, is that. It, it is actually. My um, sister in law's <laughs> brother, he's like 6'4, six, 6'5, six, and he's trying to gain some weight. So he's added in a, a gallon of milk a day. Over time. I mean, he's drinking throughout the day. So you think about it, that's like 2,200 extra calories a day. So he definitely put on some weight there. He's like, some was fat, some was muscle, but it's the first time in my life I've ever gained weight. Liquid calories go through a lot quicker, so it makes it easier to gain weight. Jeez. Ah, I know. But anyways, that's a side note. Um, we are talking about acceptance and rejection today. All right, you hear that phrase, acceptance and rejection. What are the first thoughts, guys? The job market. Job market. You've been accepted a lot of positions, I see. <laughs> You're too kind. No, I mean, it's just we've got on-campus recruiting in like two weeks, so that's just what's on my mind right now. Gotcha, just acceptance okay. and rejection, yeah, in, mm. in the context of the job market. Yeah. Yeah, not not fun, a little, a little stressful. But I, I bet. Yeah, it is what it is. What about you, Samuel? Well, you said on-campus. I think of like school letters, you know, yeah. except you apply to so many schools after high school, and then you <laughs> joking a lot early. <laughs> but you can, you know, get accepted or uh, rejected depending on – uh, where you apply and what your grades and all that were, which as someone that was homeschooled their entire life was a interesting thing to go through. Oh, he was homeschooled? Oh, man. Yeah. My homeschooled co- and engineered, so I'm like the most antisocial person ever. <laughs> <laughs> we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Uh, my first thought is actually going for like a dating relationship here in the United States and how that looks is were you accepted or rejected by that individual? Uh, whether you ask them on a date, they say no, or whether it's a second date and they say no, and it's just like, ah. And then you finally get someone who says yes. You're like, oh, come on. This is a good day. Yeah. But how does it apply to us uh, as Christians there and, and, and how we engage with the people around us and how God engages with us? What are some starter thoughts? I don't know if acceptance and rejection would be the right words, but I kind of think of ministry in the way that Jesus sent out his disciples and he gave them instructions in Matthew 10 where he's sending them out basically in the middle of his mission or in the middle of Jesus's earthly mission. He sends out the disciples and it's pretty clear that he wants to prepare them for what happens after he leaves. He wants them to get that experience. And the instructions that he gives them, he says, whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And so to me, that from a ministry context of where you're you're being sent out and we're being we're being tasked by God to to know him and to make him known to others and to share the gospel with people. Um, when you get that rejection or when people say, No thanks, I'm not really interested, I don't really need Christ right now, that's it's a bummer. You know, that's not what you want to hear, but shake the dust off. There are more people that need to hear the gospel, so it's time to move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Let's take that a little more uh, intimate though. Yeah. Um rejection as we for a new believer joins a church and just comes to know christ and his family or her family completely reject them his old or her old friends say no no more i'm not i'm not doing friendship with you anymore um because later on in matthew 10 i pulled this up and it says for i have come to set a man against his father a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household right later that's 10 34 35 36 in matthew right there 
Um, and so we're looking at how do you respond to someone who's just come to know, just come to the faith, and yet they're being rejected by everyone in their old life. Well, in Psalms twenty-seven ten, it says, "Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close." Mm. So, I mean, it, as much as that would be super painful to go through, and some people do have to go through. Uh, ultimately, the Lord is not going to reject you if you draw near to Him. Uh, I mean, there are cases in the Bible when the Lord rejects people. Um, I guess we could talk about that later. But, we will. We'll bring that up. Yeah. Um, the, you know, it, as long as you're drawing close to the Lord, He is not going to reject you, uh, no matter even if your blood relatives, your immediate family will. Yeah, I would say that in in cultural Christianity in the United States, we see because it's the culture has been the predominant culture for so long it's a little bit easier. Um, but when I read the book, um, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Qureshi, who was uh, Islamic, um, he, the last step, he had three questions, and those three questions got answered by God. And he was like, there's nothing, no reason for me not to give my life to Christ, except that it will cost him as a family. Have you, have you read the book, Samuel? Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. So. Yeah, and he, he had ended up having to, to follow Christ. He had to be rejected by his family and walk away from them it took them a couple years for them to become just friends, but they literally never treated him the same. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cultures that when you're in that deep, uh, you know, whether it be the Islamic culture and you know some other culture, uh, I guess Jehovah's Witness would be a good example. Mm. If you are remove yourself from that culture, they cut you off completely, and uh, they. I'm not super familiar with all the Jehovah's Witness stuff, but I, I do know several people that were Jehovah's Witness, and they said when they left, their family, their community, everyone that was involved in that said, we we want nothing to do with you. So, Do Christians do the same? Like, say someone is a Christian, and they decide to walk away from the faith, or they've just been going to church for many, many years, and they're like, no, I no longer profess Christ. How do Christians respond, or how should they respond to that? Lovingly, uh, I mean, as lovingly as you can, um, to reflect. I mean, the, Jesus always pursues us. He always pursues us no matter how much we, direct, we reject him. And so I think that our job is not to shun people or cast them out, but just to lovingly, just to show them his love as the best we possibly can and just continue to pursue them and continually live as if, live and make the gospel evident in our own lives. And hopefully one day they will notice that there is something different about our own life. And then hopefully one day the Lord continues to tug on their heart. And one day they decide to come back to Christ. Mm. Yeah. So for the person, let's just say, you know, I've grown up in the church, my best friend, and all of a sudden he or she decides to leave the church. Um, do I still hang out with them as much? Do I still do things with them? Like, what is the response? What are your thoughts, Sam? I think, uh, and I can't remember the part in the Bible. It's anytime you want to address something that is going wrong in um, a brother's or sister's life uh, in Christ is, and granted, you know, the example we're using right now is they've rejected Christ, but uh, you still have that initial sort of common ground that you can start with. And it says, go to the person one-on-one. -on -one, and then if that doesn't work, you bring in the community and you try to talk with them. If that doesn't work, you bring in the church elders and make it public. And if that still doesn't work, it says treat them as an unbeliever, mm. which that sounds, a lot of people misinterpret that and means like, oh, don't associate with them and shun them and all that, which is incorrect. That means that you're supposed to still love them, but they are not going to have uh, certain fellowships. So for example, they, they might not be in your uh, 
weekly Bible study because they can't relate to you on that same sort of level because they don't believe in the same thing that you do. But that doesn't mean you don't invite them to things that you're going to do. Uh, if you do CrossFit, you invite them to that. <laughs> Amen. If, you know, it, whatever whatever you do, like you can still invite them to things. You'll get meals with them and share a relationship and love them in spite of the fact that what they're doing or what they're believing is not what you agree with. Yeah, if you ever get to a point in your life where you're never hanging out with non-Christians, I think you're doing something wrong. Because if you look at Jesus' ministry, he got criticized up and down all the time for hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and quote-unquote sinners. And the Pharisees would look at this guy. And you know, there's, there's I, a couple of weeks ago, I was studying all the different times in Scripture where Jesus is sitting around the table with his friends and they're just eating. And whenever he goes into a tax collector's house, which were the worst people in the first century, these are people that were not only traitors and stole from their fellow Jews, but were serving the government that was oppressing their neighbors. These were the worst people in town. And Jesus was hanging out with them, and they were laughing, and they were having a good time because the tax collectors knew deep down what they were doing was wrong, and they knew that they needed a Savior. And so they were much more drawn to Jesus' message of forgiveness because they knew that they needed that forgiveness. And so when Jesus walked into their house and had a meal with them, they were happy and they were much more willing to accept that forgiveness and his grace and it was just a good time. But then there's this scene where Jesus is eating at the house of a Pharisee and it's just tense and you can kind of feel it when you're reading the scripture that it's just awkward and weird and, you know, the Pharisees are just waiting for him to mess up and, you know, looking for an opportunity to criticize him and and you just see these two different scenes in one, one meal, everyone's happy and having a good time because they've accepted that forgiveness and in the other meal, they've rejected Christ and they don't think they need Jesus' forgiveness and then it's just tense and awkward. And I think that, you know, the lesson from that is if you're hanging out, if you're always hanging out with quote-unquote religious people or quote-unquote good people, what opportunity do you have to share the gospel? And also, how is the gospel going to resonate with people that don't think they need the gospel? And so when you're hanging out with people that are not followers of Christ or unbelievers, you have those ministry opportunities and they are much more willing, I think, to hear the gospel because they they're they're looking for that hope in their lives. Yeah, actually, at one point uh, when Jesus is hanging out with a tax collector uh, and several other, you know, non-believers, uh, sinners, so to speak, uh, the Pharisees come and criticize him in Matthew nine, and he says, "A physician goes to the sick, not the healthy." Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's what we're called to do. Uh, that doesn't mean that you should only have non-Christian friends if you're a Christian. Uh, you should definitely be feeding into others as they feed into you, as iron sharpens iron. But if you're not hanging out with non-Christians, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. What's the first and greatest commandment there, Sam? Uh, to love others. Oh, uh, that's the first. Oh, yeah. But uh, So to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Amen. Real yeah. the second. To love your neighbor as yourself. Exactly. Right. And that's what we are called to do as Christians is yeah. to love our neighbor as ourself. Whether that neighbor is uh, knows Christ or doesn't know Christ, there's no distinction there that, that he says love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And, and your neighbors, anyone you get to interact with, not just you're like, oh, well, I have, you know, two na- one neighbor on each side of my house, that's it. Or, you know, my apartment building, there's a guy above me and below me and beside me, four people. No, it's anyone you have interaction with is your neighbor, neighbor, and God calls us to love them equally. Yeah, and the greatest thing you could ever do to love someone is to share the gospel with them. Mm. In my, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't see how there's anything more loving you can do than to give them an opportunity to have eternal life with Jesus. Yeah, well... I, do you do you all know who Penn and Teller are, the magicians? Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, great story you have coming up. Yeah, Penn Penn Jillette is a famous uh, you know agnostic. He does not uh, believe in 
I, I don't think anything. He's just a straight up atheist. Um, well, I guess that wouldn't be agnostic. Two different things. Yeah. But anyways, uh, he says that he doesn't begrudge any Christian that shares the gospel with him because if the Christian really believes what it says in the Bible and they were not to share the gospel with him, then how much would they hate him? You know, like how awful would you have to be to not share that good news with somebody else? If you know they're going to hell and they're going to be spending eternity there, like wouldn't you want to save everyone? Yeah, I agree. That's really, really good. I got to get closer to the mic, guys. Every time there's a sound issue, it's always... It's always my it's fault. Always it's yeah. always Andrew's fault in that sense. We're not. Yeah, yeah. Mm. What do we like? So what do we? how do we encourage the person who is not a Christian, who is fearful of going to the church because they are fearful of being rejected? Um, I know several individuals who, and I have a past as well. We all have past. We all have sins in our past. And they say, no, God can never, God can never love me. And they already fear that rejection before they even go. Well, I think a lot of people, when they fear that, they're really fearing the rejection of God's people, which sadly uh, happens in, in different mm-hmm. churches. They they don't know how to really reach out to others in love, or uh, if somebody that has a sin struggle comes into a church, they could demonize them for that and not be reaching out in love as they should. So. I mean, some people do truly have the fear of rejection of the Lord being, oh, I'm too great of a sinner. But that's just because they don't know the magnitude of his forgiveness and his grace. And uh, there's a ton of verses that could back that up that all escape me at the moment. (laughs) First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Did you hear a qualifier in that verse? As in, like, he'll, if we if we confess the sins that aren't that bad, mm. like as long as, as if we confess the nonviolent sins or like not the stuff we did on no, it's if we confess all of our sins, he is faithful, and it, there's nothing that would ever chase him away, like nothing that would ever make him clutch at pearls and like freak out and gasp. There's nothing you could ever do that would make him do that. Yeah, yeah. Romans five eight says, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's like, that's not when we're Christians doing all the things we should. That's when we were living a life of sin, he paid the penalty. Yeah, while we were still sinners. Dang, that's, that's so good. It, that's why it's kind of frustrating to me when people say, I'm not ready to go to church yet. I need to get my act together first. It's like, no. I mean, if if you had a cancer diagnosis, would you want to get your act together before you go to the oncologist? That would be ridiculous. You know? Yeah. I mean, let me take care of the cancer before I go see the doctor. Yeah. I, I want him to say I'm good. Yeah. If anything, this past season has told us is life is sudden. You know, you can die at any moment. People, you know, got sick from the disease that shall not be named. Um, And I mean, died perfectly healthy people. And that, yes, like that is something to be concerned about. But anyone can have an accident or an undiagnosed uh, health condition and be gone the next day. Uh, It really goes to show that God is in control, and you shouldn't wait until the end of your life to get your act together because you don't know when that is. Yeah, it's here today, gone tomorrow. Life is but a breath. Um, I think the what I tell people like that, or I'm just afraid it's the prodigal son story in the Bible, where we we, we know this, it's one of those you know preach sermons where we have this young son who kind of hates his dad. Basically, is like, hey, you're good good enough, not good to be alive. Give me all your money. 
like, and give me my inheritance now. He goes off to a foreign land, just wastes it all on prostitutes and parties. Basically, he goes to Las Vegas, and he's there, and then he runs out of money, and he's, like, trying to find a job, and there's no food, and there's a famine, and he's eating what the pigs eat as he's feeding them. He's like, man, even the, even the slaves in my dad's house eat better than this. I'm just going to go be a slave in my dad's house and servant slave, whichever one you want to use there. Um, so he goes and he's like, I'm just going to, he's prepping his speech. He's like, all right, dad, I'm really sorry. In his head, he's getting ready to go. And his dad sees him from a ways off and just runs towards him and gives him the signet ring, throws a cloak over his back and throws this huge festival. My son who was lost has returned. Come rejoice with me. And I think that is how God responds to each one of us um, when he's created us to be in relationship with him. And he says, I love you. I love you. And he wants us to move away from our sins and move towards him and reach out to him. Yeah. It's not only, you know, accepts him, but if if you read a little bit of the context of that, when it says his son, father is running back to his son, he lifts his robes, which back in the day was a very undignified thing to do to expose, you know, the lower half of your body um, like that. And he did it to his own embarrassment yeah. to run to his son. And uh, I mean, think of God's sacrifice to us, you know, Jesus coming in human flesh, how embarrassing and all powerful God coming down to be encapsulated in something is, as we mentioned, so fragile of a vessel and to be not only live that kind of life, but live it to be mocked and ridiculed and persecuted and eventually killed. It's crazy. So when you say that, it kind of makes me think there's there's humiliation on both ends of that story. So the dad humbles himself to run towards his son to show the love and to show the acceptance of his son. And at the same time, the son is, he's in this foreign land and he's feeding pigs and he starts eating the same food that he's feeding to the pigs. But to a Jewish audience, that's shocking because pigs are disgusting. They're unclean in Jewish law. You're not allowed to eat them. And so the fact that a Jewish boy who grew up royalty or grew up rich is now laying in a pig, whatever. Pig pen with pig all the sloth and mud and yeah. Eating the same food, that's humiliation. And so there's humiliation. The father humiliates himself when he accepts the son, and then the son humiliates himself when he rejects the father. And I think that, that's interesting because, at least I know in, in my own life, with my pride, a lot of that is a defense mechanism because I'm, you know, I get scared of rejection, and so my pride prevents me from taking risks and putting myself out there, whether it be for a job or applying to a school, whatever. And, you know, my pride tells me, congratulations, you didn't get rejected because you didn't humiliate yourself by getting rejected. But at the same time, it also requires, I also missed out on the acceptance because I wasn't willing to humiliate myself um, or I wasn't willing to humble myself and put myself out there. And so when you stand, when you avoid, you know, when you avoid humility, yeah, you may miss out on the, you may avoid the rejection, but you're also going to miss out on the acceptance at the same time. Mm, that's good. As I was as we're just talking about this, it makes me think of the next series we're going to be talking about and identities. And I, I was thinking about the, um, I'm going to use one of these, is the LBGQT plus IA community, mm -hmm. right? And we look at that and whatever it may be at, they say you have to accept me and love me for who I am. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the, one of the big things that they, that they say. So how do we respond to that? Because you look at the prodigal son, it's like, oh, God, his father accepted him. Mm -hmm. you, you as Christians are called to accept me and to love me and and just where I'm at, what's, what's our response as Christians? I mean, I had a, I had a, one of my good college friends uh, came out a couple months ago, and he knows I'm a Christian, and he, he knows where I stand. And I texted him, and I said, hey, man, you know, I know that you've been hurt in the past by the church, which he has. Um, some people in the church have been, they kind of treated him disrespectfully. 
And I said, just want you to know, I love you. Jesus loves you. Um, kind of shared the gospel with him. And in no part of that did I affirm, you know, that choice. Um, you know, I'm not going to pretend as if the Bible doesn't say what it does. It does. Um, but at the same time, we're called to reach out and to share the gospel with people who need it the most. And so I think in that situation, I've never really understood how to handle that situation. And so I, my default is just share the gospel with someone, love on them, let, let God sort out the rest. Okay. And then don't affirm things that the Bible would not affirm. Yeah, I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If you know somebody comes out and says, you know, I'm no longer a Christian, we we don't agree. Uh, you know, we agree with the fact that they don't believe, but like we we don't want that for their lives. In the same way that if somebody's actively sinning in their life, no matter what the sin is, you don't affirm the sin, but you do affirm the person. You you love on that person, and that's what God wants: is you to love that person, but in that sense you're not going to agree with how they're conducting themselves and how they're living their lives. If, if there was a, uh, just to use an extreme example, if there was somebody that you knew was murdering people, like you're not going to affirm the murder. You're yes. As awful as that is, you still love that person, which seems extreme. You know, I'm not going to say it, it isn't, but, uh, maybe also tell the authorities, but, um, <laughs> You, you, but that's the best because you're loving others in that instance as well because his actions or her actions, whoever, you know, uh, it's 2021 right now, so women yeah. can be murderers too. <laughs> um, but, you know, whatever their actions are, are hurting other people, so you want to love those people as well. Um, so obviously take correct steps in that sense, but you that doesn't keep us from loving those people. Uh, as, uh, I forget who said it, but... If, if you had the chance to witness to somebody that you hated, th think of one of the worst hated people of all time, Hitler. Like, if you could witness to that, you know, this horrible person, like, you should still take that chance. Because even though they've done these atrocious things, condemning them to an eternity in hell is way worse than anything they've done on earth. And while, yes, it's what they deserve and what we all deserve, it's still a horrible thing to say, I hate them so much that I would not share the gospel with them. And even for people like Hitler, Kim Jong-un, or you know, the worst people in the world, if you could share the gospel with them, like you said, you should, because if you desire justice, which all humans ultimately desire justice to some extent, you can still share the gospel with them and have them be forgiven for their sins and still have that justice satisfied. Because all of the punishment that an Adolf Hitler deserves to suffer, all of the punishment that a Kim Jong-un deserves to suffer— has already been poured out on Jesus. Like that's already been taken care of. And so when you when someone accepts Christ and even the worst people, like I, I heard a story not too long ago that Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer who ate his victims, mm -hmm. he came to Christ while he was on death row. And so a serial killer who ate his victims is going to spend eternity in heaven one day. And a lot of people would look at that, a lot of skeptics would look at that and say, how could a just God allow a monster like Jeffrey Dahmer to go to heaven? And you, you think, okay, yeah, he's a monster by human standards, but in God's eyes, my pride is just as bad as his, his murders, you know, because all sin is equal at the foot of the cross. Uh, it sort of goes back to the um, prodigal, son, uh, prodigal son parable where this uh, younger son was doing all these awful things and, uh, you know, basically told his dad, I, I want you dead and I want the money that I would get otherwise. And for us to, you know, hate those people that have done atrocities on earth, 
uh, and hate the fact that they, they have still a chance at salvation, we're being the older son that is told later in the story that is angry that his father is accepting the younger son back in. And that's not right either, is the older son, uh, he misses the point. He could be fellowshipping with everyone else and celebrating that his brother is back, but instead he's pouting outside because he he doesn't want to uh, celebrate and he, he thinks that he shouldn't have gotten a second chance. Yeah, you guys are just summing up Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 where he says um, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And if you do that, you will watch your your own heart shift and change towards them. So they no longer feel like enemies. They feel like, man, this is also a creation of God. Um, and we went a little extreme there on talking about murderers. But, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, no, it's okay. <laughs> I wanted to just explain to the audience that we're just giving an extreme example so you can see that God redeems whatever sin it is. Um, and there, the one stipulation there is there is repentance, right? So the prodigal son turned back towards his father. He was repenting of what he had done, basically coming back. I love my father. I'm going to go back to him. And we repent of our sins and come back to the father. He accepts you no matter what you've done in the past. He loves you no matter what you've done in the past um, in that. And so we're going to say that not all, not all sins are equal in their effect on people and what mm-hmm. happens there, um, but all of them are equal in the fact that they are opposite of God's nature and separate us from him. Um, but it does say in Matthew 6, about 18 um, and 19 and 20, which says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a man commits outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And now that is not just, I'm going to say, homosexual sin, but it's also heterosexual sin um, is equally as destructive for mankind. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you all, I mean, going back to the prodigal son, I mean, that dude committed everything. Like he committed sexual sin. He, I mean, kind of stole from his dad when you think about it. I yeah. mean, I know that he was entitled to that estate, but he's entitled to that estate once his dad dies, not while his dad is living. So in a weird way, he kind of stole from his dad. And, you know, aside from killing someone, he basically did everything wrong that you could have done, and yet his dad still humbled himself, picked up his robe, and ran to his son. Mm. Yeah. So just kind of in, in summary of this, we look at that we are called as Christians to um, accept and love the person, mm-hmm. but reject and hate their sins, whatever it may be. Is that kind of correct on those things? Yeah. What would you guys say? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, anything else to add there? No. I mean, I think I think that truly loving someone means you want you want the best for them and to want mm. the best for them is to live according to God's word. Yeah, what is what is it? Jesus says in John 4 is John 14:6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, and we believe that as Christians. And so we point them back to Christ and we say this is the only way to have eternal life and only way to live for eternity with him and have the best life possible. It may suck a little bit on this earth. There's going to be some issues and some problems, but this is the, he is the only way. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, when people do uh, have a saving faith and become Christians, they are accepted as sons and daughters of God, the King. And uh, that means that we're all spiritually family. Mm. And that's the love that we should hope. You know, it's it's somebody, basically, you should look at everyone as potential adoptions. You know, mm. like, this could be potentially my brother or sister in Christ. And if you're really loving them the way that you should, you're trying to tell them, like, hey, I have this adoption, you know, our father can adopt you. Basically, that's what you're telling them. You can have this wonderful relationship with him. Um, So you're not going to hate a potential adoption, you know. You might hate what they're doing by rejecting the father, but you're going to love them as a potential brother and sister in Christ.
Man, isn't that crazy? The fact that we've kind of gone from we, as when we become a Christian, we are rejected, can be rejected by the world, can be rejected by our family and whatnot, but yet then we are called to accept and love those around us as Christ has. That's kind, of, that's kind of an interesting point, though, Samuel. When you're sharing the gospel with someone, what you're effectively saying is, I want to spend eternity next to you. Yeah. Like we're gonna spend each, I'm going to spend eternity worshiping Christ. I want you to be there. I mean, I can't think of a more loving thing you could possibly do yeah. for someone than to say, I want to spend forever hanging out with you. Amen. Um, so kind of shifting pages, Sam had mentioned something earlier about how God has rejected people in the Bible. Right, I want to talk about dive into this and like what are our ta- take on this? Uh, like in Romans nine thirteen, it says, um, "Esau I've hated, but Jacob I have loved." Right, and so are there any other rejections you can think about, Sam? You want to bring up, or let's dive into that. Yeah, an easy one is uh, when, and I I will say that uh, most of these examples that I I've at least found uh, first start with the rejection of God. So. The, the easy one that I'm thinking of is Saul's rejection of God's command when he told him to destroy the Amechalites. Mm. And uh, he did not destroy it. He kept all the, the best uh, calves and goats and stuff. And then he sacrificed it as an offering to God. And that's in uh, 1 Samuel. Um, but then God says, you know, you've rejected me, so I am rejecting you as the king of Israel. Wow. And, uh, I mean, that... Those words to me sound terrifying. You know that you could mess up so bad that God is going to Himself reject you. That just sounds, you know. Uh, granted, you know Saul was not living the way that he should. Uh, you know, seeking after God, but still, the, that's a very uh, sobering thought of the fact that God can reject somebody. Yeah, and also um, Paul calls out a couple guys in First Timothy, or yeah, he calls out a couple guys in First Timothy. So Paul is writing to Timothy, his protege the guy who Paul discipled, and it, this is towards the end of his life, and he's kind of giving Timothy instructions on, okay, I'm about to I'm about to be done here, so I'm passing the baton to you, and here are, here are some, you know, somewhat final instructions. And he says, 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that the following, so that, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to a faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I, am, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Wow, that's a little heavy. Um, you have Hymenaeus and Alexander who were once following God and doing the right things, but then they decided, I'm going to turn away, I'm going to reject God now, and so God says, okay, I'm going to hand you over to the consequences of your actions. I'm going to hand you over to Satan. Um, and, and not as in God is like doing a prisoner exchange like you do in war, but that's really what God is saying is, you know, this is really painful, but they don't want to follow me, and so I'm not going to force them to follow me. And so I'm going to hand them over and let them suffer the consequences of their own actions, mm. which, like Samuel said, is a terrifying thing to hear. With the goal of them coming back to Christ. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, one example, it's sort of a rejection, is whenever uh, in the story of Moses, when Pharaoh, his heart, it says his heart was hardened by God. Mm-hmm. And that is a, you know, a rejection. Granted, again, Pharaoh had enslaved an entire nation and was continuing to reject Moses, you know, coming to him after, you know, more and more. And it really only says that God hardened his heart after several failed attempts. But, you know, that there is a potential if you continue to push God away and reject him, he is eventually going to reject us. Um mm. 
you know, it's it's the fact that, you know, if you reject God on earth, then he will reject you in heaven. Um, and I, I, I can't even stress enough how scary of a thought that is, you know, that people that we know uh, and are interacting with on earth, like they could potentially experience that rejection. Yeah, and also kind of another sobering reminder. So Pharaoh, his pride prevented him from listening to what God, he, he, God was essentially talking to Pharaoh through Moses. And so Pharaoh is negotiating with Moses time after time after time. And he, ineffectively, he's negotiating with God. And the pride that is required to be in a position where you think you can actually negotiate with God, you know, Pharaoh was there. Um, and what's interesting is if Pharaoh never believed that God was real. He thought that the you know the the Jews, the God that the Jews worshipped is ridiculous. It's all a joke. He never would have, he never would have uh, given Moses a meeting, right? If he thought that Moses was full of it, he never would have given him a meeting. But the fact that he met with Moses like what ten times shows that Pharaoh must have thought in the back of his head that the God that Moses worships is legit. There's something real about him. So I'm going to keep meeting with him. But I'm, my pride is is getting in the way. So I'm going to negotiate with God. And I'm going to try and get what I want. And then God sends plague after plague after plague to try and soften Pharaoh's heart. But the reality is that of those 10 plagues, nine of them really didn't affect Pharaoh that much. They affected Egypt. The 10th plague, what finally broke Pharaoh was that everyone's firstborn son would die and Pharaoh lost his kid. And so like that was the one that, that made him break because it affected him personally. But most of those plagues, like the locusts and the Nile turning to blood and, and the you know, the, the livestock dying, a lot of that didn't really affect Pharaoh. And so a lot of times we think that our pride can, it only affects us, but talk to the people in Egypt, talk to the Egyptians yeah. who had to have locusts swarm their house because Pharaoh was trying to, to negotiate with God. Yeah. So pride kills, not just us, not just us, but the people around us. And it, it also says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart and Pharaoh hardened his heart. So his actions and the way that he thought kept going against God. Yeah. Um, and he had ultimately rejected God. And I think it's it's kind of summed up in Matthew as well, where it says the only sin that cannot be forgiven is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we deny God, we deny the Holy Spirit and, and what he wants to do in our lives, we're saying, I don't believe in you, God. I don't believe in salvation. And, you know, and that's the only thing that can't be forgiven. Everything you do on earth is forgivable. But when you deny, completely deny God and deny what he's done, it's not forgivable. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the pride of Pharaoh because, you know, historically the Pharaoh was supposed to be a physical embodiment of a God. You know, Mm -hmm. they believed in many gods. So more than likely Pharaoh, when he was negotiating with Moses, thought as it as I'm God talking with an emissary of another God, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's what a dangerous amount of pride to have, you know, but just an interesting thought. It is crazy. The enemy's playbook has not changed since Genesis chapter 3, which is, it's not, you know, follow me. You know, it's not Satan telling you to follow him. It's follow you. You are the Lord of your own life. You are on an equal plane with God. You are just as capable of making decisions in your life as God is of making decisions in your life. So you do you. And that playbook has not changed. That was the same way. That was the same thing he did to, uh, to Adam and Eve, or really to Eve. It's the same thing he did to Pharaoh. It's the same thing he did to Judas, quite frankly. And it's the same thing he does today. That's how he gets after us as he tempts us. The root of all sin is the thought that I can be the Lord of my own life and I don't need God. Yeah, I'm in control. I can be God. I think the best example I've ever heard from that is we, you know, if you go out and you're on a boat in a lake or river, ocean, whatever, you have your motor or rudder or sail, depending on what kind of boat it is. And 
you can control that and you're like, I am in control of my destiny. But what we don't realize is God is in control of all the water. <laughs> so it doesn't matter like what we're doing. He's going to make that boat go where it wants. You know, like, yeah, we can either go with the tide, with the flow of the water, or we can try to go against it. But God is going to control the direction of our life. Speaking of which, I was actually, it's kind of funny, I was playing basketball at the Jewish Community Center this morning. There's a pickup game that we play every Friday. Is it up there in, in North Dallas? Off of like, uh, yeah, it is. is it's not far from Watermark. Off of North Haven? Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so there's a painting on the wall next to their pool, and it's like a, a race going on, and it's yeah. seven lanes, and then the three on the left and the right are all, you know, they're all swimming, and then in the middle, there's one guy with, on dry land just sprinting across <laughs> the bottom of the pool. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> That's so cool. Is um, that supposed to be Moses? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about that verse I was talking about where Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I've hated. What is your take on that one for the audience? Then we can wrap things up. That's tough, man. Um, because Esau had, I mean, he was entitled to that birthright from, um, from Isaac, but yet he sold it for a cup of soup. And so in that moment, Esau, um, so I, I'm going to butcher the story, but Esau was the oldest son, I believe. So he had this birthright from his dad, Isaac. But yet he was kind of the brute. He was he was the man's man. I mean, he was the hunter. And then Jacob was a little, I don't know what the, the nice way of putting it was. Well, yeah, there's not really a nice way of putting that. But he was more the, I'm going to stay in the house and cook. And I'm going to, yeah. you know, build stuff, you know, and, and sew clothing. And kind of, they would call a, a girly boy at that time. Yeah. In, the, in reference, yeah. A man's man versus a woman's man. Yeah. Right? And, and they, they, the that's just what they would have called it at the time. And that's how I mean, God, yeah. God created them like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it doesn't mean if you like to cook and you're a guy, you're a girly guy. It just means at the time, that's how they would have viewed yeah, Jacob. I said, I, said I like to have an obsession with Jesus. So obviously, yeah, I got no, an issue. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so, so Jacob was not entitled to this birthright, and yet Esau was hungry one day, and he wasn't, Esau wasn't a heavy thinker. He wasn't thinking too far in advance, and he thought, okay, I'm hungry. I'm going to sell my birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup, and he wasn't really thinking about the long-term consequences. He was just hungry in that moment, and so in that moment, Jacob valued the long-term over the short-term. Esau valued the short-term over the long-term, and it cost him, and um, I, I don't think that when God says, Jacob, I loved, Esau, I hated, he means that literally because God loves all of us. Um, I just think that Esau's own decisions distance him from God. Mm. So you think that's a, a figurative speech in sense of like how much his love towards Jacob was? It almost appeared like he hated Esau. I, I think so because there's another part in Scripture where it says, you know, uh, when a man comes to um, to Jesus and it's like, I, I you know, I want to follow you, and he says, but first I have to, you know, go tell my family, and, he's, and he says. Uh, basically, you have to hate your family if you're going to follow me. And it's not hate your family. It's in comparison to the love that you have mm -hmm. for me, you are going to have to hate your family. And I think that in addition to that, um, just as far as rejection and acceptance goes, Timothy Keller, who I absolutely love, uh, has a study on Romans. It's two different books, uh, Romans for You. Um, and in the second book, he talks about how acceptance is truly based off of God. Anything good that we can accept is is based on God, whether that be, you know, where you were born, what time you were born into, what family you were born into, your physical and intellectual abilities, all of that was predetermined. You had no effect on that. True. And even, like, you can go further into, like, what job offers you have and all that kind of stuff. Like, God is directing that. Um, but we are fully 
responsible for our rejection of God. Mm. Um, and that is like we he has come to us with open arms and we are the ones that are responsible for pushing him away and saying, no, I don't want that. Uh, whether it be the, the true gospel or any other opportunities that he has for us. So that's a, not my words. No, but. no. I, and I can't remember for sure if in the end, if Esau ultimately rejects God, I have to go back and study that. But I do know that, you know, Esau and Jacob do reconcile and they come back and Jacob's afraid for his life. And Esau's like, brother, it's so good to see you. And like giving him a hug, you know, um, and seeing his children and blessing them. And then as Israel's out of the, moves out of the promised land in that exodus towards, I mean, out of Egypt into the promised land, the Edomites are the descendants, the descendants of Esau. And God specifically says they cannot hurt them. They cannot destroy them. And so he preserves the Edomites because God still loves them as his people, still coming down to the same descendants. Um, and so I like that it's, it's hyperbole in, my, in the same way that you were called to hate your family um, and in comparison to how much you're loving Christ. And I, I just think since we're talking about acceptance and rejection, just to remind everyone that God chose you. In, in Romans 8, it says, For those whom he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that they might be the firstborn among many brethren, brethren, and those whom he predestined he called, those whom he called he justified, those whom he justified he glorified. And so what that verse is saying is that there are people that God has chosen. And if you are in Christ, God has chosen you. And that is not to say that if you're not in Christ, that if you want to be in Christ, that God is not allowing you to do so. He is. But God has chosen his people. God has chosen the people that will ultimately spend eternity with them in heaven because they will. those are the ones that will accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus has given us. And so, you know, the world, there's a lot of rejection, whether it be dating, jobs, colleges, Houses, if you're trying to buy a house, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of rejection. Yep. But just keep in mind, constantly remind yourself that God has chosen you if you are in Christ. Mm, amen. Um, just kind of wrapping it up and reading this morning in Acts uh, 10, and it's when Peter sees that, like, hey, all things are clean, and the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit, and just like as a Jew, he's just brought in, and it says, I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is welcomed before him, Acts 10, 34, and 35. The person who fears him and does what is right is obedient to God. Fearing him, obviously, going to be submission. Like, that's the one that, that's what God wants. It's incredible. He chooses to be with all people. Well, guys, thanks for listening to um, this podcast today on acceptance and rejection. If you have any questions, please message us. We'd love to respond to those. Uh, any uh, closing comments or anything you guys want to say? If you have criticisms, send them to Neville. <laughs> oh, we should get a uh, we should get an email. Check your heart at shineanddelight.com. Yeah, if you have criticisms. Is we'll that s- really y'all's email? Uh, no, it's going to be soon, though. Sign uh, it up before somebody steals Amen, or- amen. <laughs> well, Sam, thanks for coming on today. Ro, thanks for being here. And guys, thank you for listening. We always appreciate it. Hasta pronto. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight at outlook.com. Until next time, Be kind, love all, share your shine.